0: Welcome to episode 15 of The Sweet Spot on a Farm. Today we are back to an episode with a guest and my today's guest is somebody I met a while back but I don't know much about. His name is Turan Mirza. Did I pronounce him right?
1: Perfect, perfect. Turan Mirza. That's it.
0: And he's a hypnotist. Indeed. Hi Tyrone. welcome to my podcast. Good to be here. I'd like to start with a very nosy and hypnotism completely unrelated question. Yep. I really like your name, but it's not Irish, quite obviously. Where are you from?
1: So the name is Turkish. My uh, father was Turkish. Uh, my mother was from Ireland, uh, from Northern Ireland. And it's a nice story, actually. I always like to tell it, so bear with me. My, my mother uh, was from Green Island, near Carrickfergus, And uh, she applied for a job in Belfast Telegraph to be a nanny for the American ambassador in London. So she got the job and and this is back in the the late 50s and she flew over to and looked after the two children for the American ambassador there and what was nice is she got to travel the world because as he moved around to the... He went back to Washington for a bit to the American embassy there and she saw America and then he went to uh, the American embassy in France for a while and then went to the American embassy in Turkey for a while and like any... Good Irish girl. She bumped into a friendly face over there, a father, and dragged him back home to meet the parents. <laughs> dragged him. That's it. As, as they say, as they say. And uh, the rest is history. And my father stayed here. We were born here. So I'm born and bred in Northern Ireland. From that point of view, I don't have a lot of Turkish history and depth in me because, because of my being born here. But um, yeah, I've got the name, Turan.
0: For some reason, I always thought it sounded a bit Hungarian.
1: Well, again, there's an Indian name, Mirza, so uh, a lot of people think it's Indian.
0: Did you ever have a desire to learn your father's native language?
1: Growing up in the 60s, 70s, back then, I mean, unlike now, where there's 101 different communities here, back then there was a total of, like, two other Turkish friends. So the three Turks in Northern Ireland would hang out together regularly, uh, and that was it. So it was, a, it was a very small community. So from that point of view, and with my mother being from Northern Ireland, she didn't speak Turkish. Uh, She would have a few words, obviously, from when she was traveling, but predominantly just spoke English, and uh, so there was never that conversation. There was not a lot of Turkish culture growing up. Uh, My father was a very proud Turk, proud Muslim, uh, especially growing up in Northern Ireland, where there was the the Protestant-Catholic conflict, and for him to be a Muslim there, he studied all religions growing up uh, in in Green Island in an estate where there would be door-to-door people coming around and selling their religions the mormons or whatever my father would welcome everyone into the house have long chats tell them about the quran talk to them about the bible and talk to them about other things so he was a very fair man and understood all religions and all sides and all arguments i think i inherited that in terms of understanding people and and being open to people's different ideas i think that helps in in the work I'm doing now.
0: So I wonder, is it your father maybe that um, was responsible for you and the hypnotism, or is it something completely unrelated? And
1: now we move on to the misconceptions and myths, <laughs>
0: and, and this
1: idea that oh, hypnosis God. and the, the mystic Easts, and all this sort of idea of, of men in turbans and beams coming out of eyes and all this sort of stuff. I would love to say yes, that's, that's a lovely misconception, a bit like uh, the pocket watch and all those sorts of things. But no, there's no connection there. If anything, like I say, it's his friendliness. Everyone that met my father, loved my father, Um, he's passed away now. But he he was a wonderful man, everybody liked him. Um, He talked to everyone, he listened to everyone. And those are the skills that are important in hypnosis, like any change work or therapy work. And those are the skills I've obviously inherited from him.
0: So tell me about hypnosis. When was the first time that you encountered Hypnosis?
1: The first time I encountered hypnosis, basically, I've got four children. You're, you're, you're with me in my home today. You can probably see the, the the photographs of the children in the background. I say children, but they're all grown up now. The youngest is 17. But uh, when the kids were younger, and this was not for any public audiences, just for the four kids, I used to do little magic tricks as that usual. Paying the ass dad, doing funny things for the kids and, and trying to entertain them. So I used to do magic tricks and sleight of hands and card tricks things like that there so I saw one what I thought was a magic trick on the television and I thought right that's the next one I'm going to do on the kids that's the next one I'm going to inflict on them and uh, I went away and studied that and realised it's not magic it's hypnosis back to misconceptions a lot of people think it's just a trick part of magic in a way it, there is a magic to hypnosis shall I say but it's, it's a very scientific process and, and a uh, history and neurology to hypnosis yes I just got involved in that and I thought oh, I want to learn this and I studied for ages reading books looking at YouTube looking at videos and I just didn't have that confidence to try it I didn't know what the, what the what was the secret ingredient that I was missing in all these books and all these videos and things and I I went on a course and learned the secret I'll say learnt the secret I, I'll say the phrase I learned nothing that day but it was a wonderful course and a great instructor but it, it, I got that confidence that day to the point where I was flying back out of Stansted Airport. I don't know if it's a sexist thing to say, us men go into the the PC world, or what do you call it, the Dixons, the airports. Look at the computers, look at the cameras, things like that there. The place was empty. There was three assistants, and they were were twiddling their thumbs. They were just standing there idly. After this course, and gaining this confidence, I still didn't have that little magic. So I walked out, and I said to myself, I'll take a walk around the airport, and if I go back in, and there's no customers there, and they're still bored, I will try this stuff. So I did. I walked around the airport, slowly, taking my time, and crept back into the, the shop. Nobody was there, just these three guys and two fellas and a girl. The fellas were closer, so I walked over to the guys, and I says, uh, I says, you guys look bored? she said, yeah, it's terrible, especially on a Sunday night. It was a Sunday night. I'm going to see some entertainment. And I says, why? And they looked at me strangely, and I says, well, I'm a hypnotist, which technically at that time I wasn't because I'd never hypnotised anyone in that situation. I'd done some work that day in the class, but uh, no one for real. The, the immediate thing they did, like good macho guys, is they ran away and said, do her over there.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: now, because I had a, a, you know, been talking to her, I wasn't a t- complete stranger to her. She says, oh, what's this? He, he wants to hypnotise you. And she said, yes, I'll have a go. And I hypnotised her and just um, some fun uh, entertainment routine. And that was it. And I was so excited, like a, like a big kit, I, I, I text the instructor, I just hypnotized someone, you know, so it was all very exciting, first time. And then just from the, then on in, anyone I could practice on, any opportunity to hypnotize someone, I was, I was building up that confidence, building up that experience.
0: So at that point when you were studying hypnotism and uh, learning, gaining the confidence, what were you doing professionally? What, what did you do for a living?
1: For 27 years, I was an engineer, a software engineer, and I almost need to retrack on that when I say software engineer. I studied at university as an electronics systems engineer, but my year out in industry was with British Telecom, British Telecom Systems Software Centre down in Belfast. I had a good year there as a you know, hardworking student, and they uh, at the end of it, I said, like, what's, opp- what's the opportunity for me getting a job? here after my degree is finished and they says well oh, you've been a great worker we really like the way you work and how hard you worked you've got a job and I thought that's great that means I can go back to university and I don't have to spend time filling in application forms doing what they call the milk round and trying to find a job. Passed my university degree just before that year I'd got engaged but I said I don't want to get married I don't want to focus on getting qualifications getting a degree so I planned the wedding knowing I had a job I planned the wedding for like two months after the, the I, I got the job, I went back to British Telecom and said, right, got my degree, you said you would give me a job, and they said yes, and they gave me a job and offered me a job. And I looked at the details and I went, ah, this is in England. I I wanted to work in Belfast. So I ended up turning it down after not looking for any other job, so I had to rush out, try and find another job in a hurry because I had the wedding in two or three months coming up. Went down to a company that was called back then STC, Standards, Telephones and Cables, later known as Nortel. Went for an interview and it was the day before the 12th weekend. And they said, yeah, we'll get back to you in two weeks because we're just about to take the, the, the fortnight off. And I thought, oh, this is terrible, that's two weeks lost, am I going to get this job? I have to try and find another job. And uh, by the time I got home to the house, there was a phone call and they offered me the job. So great, back on track, getting back on, all the rest of it. Didn't even ask, arrived to work on the first day. And because my degree was in electronics, I assumed it would, well, I was going to be an electronics engineer and design physical engineering. They said, there's your computer, and you're going to be writing software. So i actually signed up for a software engineering job. So for the next 27 years, I basically was writing software. So that was, that was the start of my career.
0: start of your career, that's very different from hypnotism so at what point in your life did hypnotism become a profession rather than a hobby
1: well that's it so uh, I'll, I'll fast forward through a bit more of my career so i was in like i say uh telecoms for most of my career i moved from nortel to fujitsu software did that for two years and then came back to nortel another two years there and all of a sudden well we're now up to the, the early 2000s and at that time there's this thing came along called the internet, and everybody thought it was going to be really big. But back then they'd overcalculate that they'd, they'd grew too quickly, so all of a sudden they were having to cut from ninety thousand employees down to about forty five thousand. My friend who also worked in Nortel, he was setting up a, his own company, and I took the opportunity to take a redundancy payment from Nortel, and join my friend. I was the first engineer through the door. And he was setting up a company miles away, as it were, from the telecoms industry, telephones and things like that there. He was moving into the oil and gas sector. I I joined him and helped him uh, with that business. News or bad news. After two years, that, that company went into liquidation. Uh, and I thought everything was at, at an end there. But uh, he found a private investor, started the company again, uh, under a new name, so it was a new company. And that was back in 2005. So fast forward to 2013, and we were selling all over the world. We had 35 employees. We were doing very well, and we were approached by an American company who bought us out. So slightly better second time around. That was 2013, and I stayed on with the company, but during that time, or slightly before that, uh, I'd started to learn and get interested in hypnosis. So by this time now, the, the new company had come in. They had implemented their way of doing things, Good company, not knocking the company, but it wasn't the way you know I wanted to do things. And uh, at that time, I was a, now a director of the, the, the company, the director of engineering. I was starting to see more clients in the evening, uh, enjoying the hypnosis, so I just thought I'll take this opportunity now to make the leap. And a lot of people say engineering versus hypnosis, engineering, working with mechanical things and software versus working with people is, is quite a different field. But by the time you come and become a manager of the, a company or a director of the company, what you're really trying to do is guide the direction of the company. You're trying to influence the company, trying to make suggestions. And really what hypnosis is, is about guiding people, making suggestions, hoping they accept those suggestions uh, and help grow and develop themselves. So whether it's a company or whether it's an individual, hypnosis and engineering are not too far.
0: So you started with uh, hypnotism as a form of entertainment and magic trick. When did you realise that actually it's not just an entertainment, it's a form of therapy?
1: A lot of people come to me nowadays, I'm, I'm, I'm working, the, the you know, doing therapy, and they say... Um, well, I understand it's not like the stage show stuff, but it is. <laughs> it is just like the stage show stuff, just a different application. A bit like saying, well, you know, Banksy's not like Da Vinci. You know, he painted on a ceiling, you know, Banksy paints on a wall. You could say it's totally different art, but it's still art. It's just a different art form. Yes, I just, first of all, I just wanted to entertain the kids and do something fun for the kids. But unlike, say, for example, juggling, if you're learning to juggle, and you walk into your room and there's a fruit bowl and nobody's there. You can pick up an orange and, and an apple and, and start to juggle and practice. With hypnosis, you need people to practice. So so as I say, I was I was just practicing with everyone. Uh, and I would do it maybe at a family party at Christmas. And uh, I can come back to that. Maybe there's a significant time at a family party at Christmas. But I would hypnotize someone and there might be a friend there. And they said to me, come along, I'd love you, that was really fun, that was really entertaining, I'd love you to come and do that for my birthday party. Yeah, I'll give you some money for it if you come along and and entertain at the birthday party. So just dragged into it from that point of view, again, still in the entertainment field, and sooner or later someone was asking me to do a, a charity stage show, and I started to get into the stage show. At that time, my son was now involved in the hypnosis as well, my eldest son, Jonathan. If you go on trainings... For hypnosis as I've I've done many trainings uh, and sat in, in many seminars and, and conventions and things it's a popular response that if you're doing entertainment sooner summer someone will walk over to you pull you aside and say look I'm having trouble sleeping right now I suppose that stuff you just did up on stage couldn't help me with this could it at that time someone approached me and, and insomnia was the first thing that somebody asked me about uh, I had a fair idea you know I'd studied the, the topic a lot and uh, I said, yeah, I can help you. And uh, we sat down. We worked together. They were totally transformed. And then someone came along and says, "Can you help me stop smoking?" And I worked on them. And I realised, you know, this, as you say, this is more more than just entertainment. It's not. There's entertainment hypnosis, and there's also separately, therapy. It's the same processes, but used for different reasons. So I just continued on with the training, did more training in the therapeutic side of things and really enjoyed that. People started coming to me just word of mouth, didn't do any advertising at the time. And like I say, that's where I was just coincidentally uh, at the time that I was in the job and I'd got to that point where I was doing what I could do, didn't think I could do any more. Um, And I thought, "Let's, let's do this full time. And I still do the entertainment stuff, if I, if somebody, not as much as, as the therapy work, but if somebody wants me to do a party or, or a trade show or something like that there, or a stage show, I did a stage show a couple of weeks ago.
0: So talk to me about the therapy stuff though. I know very little about uh, therapy by hypnosis. Are there any other issues that you can use hypnotherapy for other than smoking and sleep?
1: I'll say the phrase, you name it, and we can help with it. To take a step back, because we're talking about therapy, and I've used quite openly there the word therapy, uh, and the common term is also hypnotherapy. I don't like that word therapy. I probably insult a lot of good hypnotherapists, and I don't mean to insult anyone. I use the word change work rather than hypnotherapy. If you Google the word therapy, it means to overcome a disorder. And to say you're a therapist or hypnotherapist, from my perspective, I don't... Again, i like mean to insult anyone else, and many people use it and, and do great work. And the same work as myself, it's just the, the term that I'm using. I don't think people come to me have disorders. Uh, a good friend of mine, Carl Smith, a wonderful trainer based in England, he's written a book. Uh, he actually had PTSD, but his book's called There's No D in PTSD, okay, because it's just a post-traumatic stress. It's not a, a disorder people have if they have had a traumatic incident where they have post-traumatic stress uh, and I like that concept that, that people don't have disorders. Again I almost moved back to the days of computing and the days of engineering and like any software engineer I would write a piece of software, I would run that piece of software and it would have in its very common a bug. It would crash or it would do the wrong thing. The little computer chip didn't have a disorder, it wasn't broken. It was just programmed wrongly. And just by changing the software, a few ways of thinking in that computer program to do different things, the, the computer, the software worked perfectly. So it wasn't that it had a disorder. It wasn't broken. Uh, and that's the way I look at people, that they don't have disorders. They don't need therapy. They just need to change the way they think. For the context of this interview, for the context of, of knowing what I do, if you're familiar with the word hypnotherapy, that's what it is, but I'd rather use the word change work, hypnotic change work. So it is about changing the way you think. So if it's not a physical or it's not a broken leg, bad back or something like that there, which is physical, if it's just a way of thinking, then it can be changed. And that applies to things even like teeth grinding. If you think of teeth grinding... It's an unconscious action it's, a, it's an action it's not to do with your your teeth having a disorder or misaligned it's just something in your mind is causing you to clench down your jaw and and cause the, the teeth to grind together so i work with things like teeth grinding so hypnodontics that's called uh i work with children for bedwetting. i work with children for and adults for anxieties all sorts of anxieties i'm just thinking of children uh, because I'm working this week with just anxiety about going to secondary school. Previous to that, and I'll come, be coming around again, working with children for anxiety about the, the transfer test. Uh, I work with adults for exam, anxiety, exam, stress as well. So stresses, anxieties, anxieties, uh, sexual dysfunction, insomnia. Most people think of hypnosis. You said sort of sleeping and smoking. Most people think that the only things hypnosis can help with is weight management or weight loss, and smoking. There's so much more. It's If it's a pattern, a way of thinking, if it's an anxiety, fears or phobias of flying or spiders. Uh, I work with people for fear of water. I work with people for just a block in their career. I know I, want, I should be able to do this, but something keeps holding me back. That's a thought. That's a belief. That's an idea. And all those things, all those thoughts, ideas, they're not disorders inside people. It's just a way of thinking and i can change that free that way of thinking
0: what you're doing gets very similar if not the same result as counseling indeed only you get there through slightly different methods
1: perfect yes i mean uh, a lot of people say oh is that a bit like cbt cognitive behavioral therapy and it's 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 not the same but it's in the same genre it's it's a, instead of talking to people at a cognitive level at a at a a thinking level it's about talking to another part of their mind that people would call the unconscious or the subconscious mind so it it is an alternative for most therapies and again i know some people can sort things out in in, in one session hypnosis can be very quick because it's getting for for a lot of these issues like anxieties people will come in and they'll describe it as you know i, I don't know why i you know i'm not moving forward in my career something keeps holding me back so that that's something is not a piece of rope, it's not something physical. It's it's a thought, it's an idea inside their mind, but it's it's something they, they can't see even mentally thinking about it. They can't think about it, they can't get to it at a conscious level. So it's something at an unconscious level. And many times I'll say, and this is, again, I'll give some credit, where it's due to a lovely uh, trainer and uh, clinical hi- hypnotist in, in Scotland called Bob Burns... As he would say, and I say to my clients, so that's great news, you don't have a problem. Not at a conscious level. Because if you, you could think about what the issue was, you would solve the issue. You've actually just got an unconscious problem. So consciously you don't have a problem.
0: So what actually is hypnosis there are so many misconceptions and yeah. you know the when you say hypnosis everybody will imagine somebody falling asleep on stage and doing crazy things that the hypnotist tells them to do but obviously this is not how the therapy as such works so what is hypnosis what do you do so, when you hypnotize what, someone? so what
1: is hypnosis i've got i've got a short trailer advertising some of my work on youtube And the opening sentence is from a talk I did for the Belfast City Council, and I use the phrase, if you ask 100 hypnotists, you'll get 100 different answers, because nobody really knows what hypnosis is. Hypnosis, for me, is that it's it's about guiding someone's imagination to the point where their imagination becomes their reality. One of the, the, the... big things is something that Hollywood loves to latch on to is this word control and so many people come to oh I I have this issue and I'd love to use hypnosis to get over this issue but I don't want to be in somebody else's control and the the biggest misconception to get over in relation to hypnosis is that you're always in control you always know what's going on and have the ability to stop at any time Hence, again, another very famous terminology in hypnosis is the word hypnotic suggestion. And that's what it is. It's a suggestion. For instance, I might say to you, it's getting a bit warm in here. Would you mind opening the door? And for many people in response to that sentence, they'll stand up. No, not tall. And they'll go over and they'll open the door. And the question is, would you mind? And the answer to that is yes or no, I wouldn't mind opening the door. But they read into that sentence the suggestion, which is not can you go over, stand up, open the door but they go over and do that whether it's out of politeness whether it's out of social compliance they accept there's a suggestion embedded in that sentence i'm not telling you to go open the door and you can just turn around and say yeah i wouldn't mind just sit there and look at me (laughs) or you can feel that feeling of suggestion go i think he actually wanted me to go over he didn't say that in the sentence but there's a suggestion in there so and when people say that to you do you feel like you're out of control
0: Not really. I mean, I shouldn't.
1: You can just say, yeah, I wouldn't mind. Do you want me to? You know, and and clarify the suggestion into a a request for, do you want me to go open the door? So you're always in control. Hypnosis, like CBT, like any other therapy, is just talking to you. There's no beams come out of my eyes. There's no magnetic fields emanating from my hands. Oh, I'm disappointed,
0: though. (laughs) that's it.
1: Now, another very powerful thing, I learnt from one of my trainers, a chap called Justin Transon. He's actually coming down to Dublin in September to do his training. If anybody wants that, I highly recommend him. He's a stage hypnotist. But again, if you go on any training if it's stage hypnosis, there will always be a few hours at least of how you, he uses his art to help people through therapeutic change. What I just did there is, is there's no beams coming around. There's no magnetic fields. I'm almost trying to apologize and play down that hypnosis is not anything that grand. It's just another talk therapy, and in one context, that's all it is. It's just talking. But as he said, you know, embrace that power, and it is a power, not a power that emanates from me. But it's like talking to you. You, you. you have this skill. You have this. You do podcasts, and it's about embracing that. If someone's a ballet dancer, and I mean anybody could be a ballet dancer, but they don't, and it takes time, it takes effort. Anybody could be an Olympic swimmer but they don't. But some people have that power, have that discipline, have that want and that drive to do that particular thing. So whether you're a ballet dancer or Olympic swimmer or just a podcaster, embrace that power. So it's not that there's a power within hypnosis. It's a skill, like painting, like anything else. You can go to a painting class and you can learn how to paint, but there's only so much people can teach you. If you don't have that inherent want To draw the Mona Lisa, it'll just look like a kid's drawing on a page. Didn't my hypnosis come from my father, you know, and the Mystic Easts and all this sort of stuff? It's not something that you inherit. It's not a gift. Anybody can learn to do it. But you do have to have that want, that drive, whether it's to be an Olympic swimmer, whether it's to be a ballerina, if you don't have that gift inside you, but it's not a magical gift.
0: There's something you said earlier on about hypnotism and engineering having something in common yes and then you talked about reprogramming so i can totally see how your approach of hypnosis and and your background in engineering how it really works together so actually it didn't make that much of a leap
1: the time i was a became a software manager and then became the director so i was managing software engineers electronics engineers and mechanical engineers so i was managing three teams and providing leadership as a director so i was a people manager um, to again, to be a people manager, you, you can be either, you see these posters, are you a boss or a leader? So the boss just comes in and says, right, you're going to write that report and you're going to have it done by five o'clock today. Or you can say, guys, you know, I think it'd be a good idea to have this report done. You know, I think it would get the company moving forward. And, and if we got that done by five o'clock today, I think it would be a good idea, wouldn't it? What do you think? As a good manager, if you're a good manager, you're, you're suggesting what we should do and getting them to accept that suggestion. There's no control there. They can still say, I don't think this is the right way to do and, oh, You know, sometimes a, as, a, as a director, as a manager, I would say, yeah, I think we should do this. No, I think we should do that. And I go, actually, you're right. Asking any any listeners to think about the good bosses they've had, or the good leaders they've had in the past, which ones actually got more work done. It's not the, the, the boss that just says, you're going to do this here and cracks the whip. They usually use, lose the staff pretty quickly. It's the good leaders that would manage their people and work with their people. A good hypnotist is not just about applying a set of processes and procedures, but it's free-forming, understanding how things work and, and using that to help people change.
0: So tell me about studying, because obviously it's quite a complex thing. It's not like learning a few magic tricks. How do you study, how do you, or how did you in the past study? What did you do to improve your skills and really understand yeah. your work as you do it now?
1: It's like anything, and I'll go back to that metaphor of maybe swimming. You, know, you can go for a six-week lesson, one hour a week, so that's six hours, and, and you can be a pretty competent swimmer, and that, that can be where you stop but you're not going to be at Olympic standard. So like any art, like any skill, you can just pick up the basics. But to be really fluent in this, I have trained all over the world. I trained in Houston, I trained in Las Vegas, I trained in England, I trained in Scotland and Wales. As I say, I learned hypnodontics from a wonderful woman called Beryl Komar. She lives in Dubai, she's from the UK, a lovely woman. And I trained with Justin Trance, a stage hypnotist. I trained with him in Las Vegas itself at the uh, theatre where he was actually doing his shows. I did a three-day stage hypnosis course with him, but it was more like four days because at six o'clock when the training finished, he was getting ready for his show, so he said, like, stay and watch the show. And we stayed and we watched the show. The whole audience left and the students were leaving. He would shake our hand and he would say, stand over here for a minute. And then we spent another hour and a half breaking down what he'd done that night, fresh and live, so you probably got an extra day's worth of training. It was more like four days rather than three-day training. A wonderful chap and, and his commitment to do those sort of things. Top names, like uh, Andrew Austin, like James Tripp. James Tripp was the chap I was talked about initially first there, where I did my first course. Marvelous mind. And all these people, Gary Turner again, wonderful chap. These people are studying hypnosis like myself, reading books, feeding up ideas onto you know private groups and Facebook and whatever and the forums you're getting to interact so it's it's a constant learning I'm still learning now I've attended Hypnothots Live which is a wonderful convention if you want to learn hypnosis or or Hypnothots Live is a wonderful convention it's in Las Vegas so it's a bit of travel from this end of the world but there's over a thousand people go to that convention there are three days plus there's training courses before the convention and training courses after the convention every hour there's 11 different speakers so, you've got 11 different choices. It's almost a drawback because you're, you're losing out on 10 wonderful speakers. But you, you get an hour, maybe two hour lecture from each of these people. You get different techniques, different viewpoints, new ideas, strengthening old ideas. So, for, for, for those three days, the same again, the UK Hypnosis Convention is coming up in November uh, at Heathrow. And uh, I'll just drop in there again. I'm speaking at the convention this year, as I did speak at the Las Vegas convention last year. It's a great opportunity to learn. And and conventions are nice because you can sample different trainers' techniques, different trainers' ideas and say, right, I want to learn more about that one. So after sitting in on a one-day course, for instance, uh, I sat in on Inez Simpson, and she's developed what's called the Simpson Protocol. Now, she wasn't egotistical enough to name it herself, People started to go, oh, you should go and do an Inez's course. She teaches this great protocol, and it became the the Simpson Protocol, but it's a very well-known protocol that she uses. She's coming over in November to Northern Ireland to train people in her protocol. She came over in June for holiday in Northern Ireland, and she stayed with me, and uh, we had good t- chat. So it's not just about going on a training course. You get a training course and you never see that trainer again. I have touched base with most, if not all, as I think... My trainers, uh, on a regular basis, so they know me. You know, if you have any concerns about the level and depth of my knowledge and experience, you go onto to my uh, web page and there's a tab called Training and it shows everybody I've trained with. Uh, and pick anyone. i being probably been a bit rude here because I'm going to say, pick any one of those people and email them and say, do you even remember that guy that was on your course? I don't want everybody now to, to write them on masse, but if you were to do that, they would say, yeah, I know this guy, I know his level of training, I've, I've talked to him since. So it's continuous. For me, it's continuous. I'm always listening to other podcasts from other hypnotists, re-listening to the hypnosis convention recordings, again, Alexa Hypnotists Live, where you do only see eight people in one day, but there's... Idiot people because there's eleven, eleven or twelve streams per hour. So I buy the recordings of those and listen to the the lectures I didn't get to, to sit in on. In terms of visual and auditory, if you're looking at DVDs, you do miss the ability to ask questions. If there's something somebody says and you're not sure about it, that's why you need to go to the conventions. You need to go to the live events. You need to go to the live trainings because a lot of times again with the DVDs, if it's a training DVD, they stop the video when well, everybody breaks out, tries what was just taught and then gets back together again. And you probably learn more from the breakout sessions than you do actually from the lecture. That's just the tip of the iceberg.
0: You took quite a lot of training, obviously, bettering your skills, but how about learning from clients?
1: Oh, yes. Every single person is unique. No two sessions are the same. Somebody comes in with a fear of spiders and somebody the following day comes in with a fear of spiders, is they, that, will, they would, would be totally do that
0: a spider by your door is for? <laughs> you know,
1: it's, it's, it's not there. I didn't buy that for the, <laughs> for the clients and I, and I sometimes have to remember to hide that if there's a fear of spider coming in. No two people react in the same way. My talk in Las Vegas was how street hypnosis can help you therapeutic practice now street hypnosis to clarify that term means anything other than hypnosis on a stage or in a therapy room so street hypnosis whether it's at a christmas party and you're just hypnotizing one-to-one and a few people watching or whether i go out onto the streets of belfast stop someone outside the city hall and say would you like some entertainment if you're again i have a youtube channel and for instance one of one of the nice routines i'll do is maybe get someone to forget to the number seven so they'll be counting their fingers. One, two, three, four, five. And then they'll go six, eight, nine, ten, eleven. They'll go eleven fingers. They don't realize why they have eleven fingers. For some people, they'll get one, two, three, four, five, six, and then they'll go sss. And they'll know there's a seven somewhere deep in their mind, but just for that moment, they've forgot it and they'll stick. And they can't get to eight. They'll just go sss. One of my videos is called the number S. <laughs> S-S-S-S-S-S-S. Other people will get to eleven and go eleven and they'll just look at you like 11 normal. (laughs) Other people will go, 11? And they'll go, what is wrong with my hands here? (laughs) So even just in in terms of the uh, entertainment side, and and the therapy is, again, it's no different. Even in terms of the entertainment side, uh, no two people react in the same way, and I think that keeps it alive. I'm constantly learning how people react and what I need to do different. Hypnosis, whether it's a stage show again, whether it's street hypnosis or whether it's in the therapy room, you cannot plan, you cannot structure.
0: Would you, would you tell us about um, one of your maybe best success stories? What, what's maybe yeah. the best case that you're most proud of that you could share, obviously without we well,
1: mentioning indeed. any names? I like, I like telling this because they give me a phrase which I, I, I love to hear. So this person, they were going for a job interview and had terrible anxiety
0: oh man hands sweating yeah voice shaking
1: and 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 what i love about that comment is you've told me practically everything you look at some of the more traditional therapies were and i was speaking to someone just yesterday and and they said oh, it's typically six sessions and, and for the first two or three it's just information gathering i've got all that i need to know i need to know that you feel a certain way there you go and you're feeling it again. She's cringing. Just, 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 just at the thought. And this is the power of hypnosis. This is the power of the human mind. You're just thinking something, cringing, and you're putting your hand to your face uh, and your laughter. It's controlling so much. Just a thought. There's no interviewer in the room right now. There's no table. There's no whatever oh, man, about gender. Interview.
0: you job interviews the whole weekend, though. Yes.
1: I can help you with that. <laughs> So this person you know, that had a rocky past with a previous employer and there were some issues still ongoing with that. And the way I work is I send out a quick intake form. It's a very simple intake form. There's like eight questions. What do we want to work through? What makes it better? What makes it worse? And how do you want to feel? Uh, and they said, they, they said at the time in the form they, they get a, a red rash on their chest uh, and on one side of their face. And I thought that slightly strange, but I wasn't too sure... Um, ...what that meant and almost brushed over it. But when, as soon as they came in, I said to them... ...okay, so what are we going to work through today? And they said, well, as I said, it's this clawing fear. Now, they hadn't said that in the text. But that phrase in itself was not normal to me. Some people call it a gripping fear. But a clawing fear was was a bit strange. As I explained, hypnosis is about using your imagination... ...and understanding your imagination... ...to the point where it becomes your reality... So I asked them to use their imagination and say, well, what is this claw like? Is it a bear claw? Is it a dragon's claw? Is it a human hand with a metal claw on it? And they said, and again, it's probably hard for listeners, but they gestured like this here, well, it's a clawing fear. And they gestured with their right hand towards the left side of their face. And I thought, that's strange. I said, you didn't say it's a clawing fear. You said it's a clawing fear. And at that point I turned to the notes and I said, you, you say you blush and, and, and one side of your face goes... Which side of the face? It's the, it's, the, it's the left side. And I said, that's interesting because you said a clawing fear and gestured towards the left side of your face. Cutting long story short, but I asked her to imagine how she could stop that claw. Almost dismissal, I suppose. i could like put my hand up, stop the claw. I said, close your eyes and imagine now You're in that situation of an interview and you feel that clawing fear coming on. But put your hand up and stop the claw. Now, one of the things, again, in the form I say, you know, what makes it worse? How how do you know when you have it? It's another question that I always ask. And they said, well, I know I have it. And what they didn't say in that form was, I I know I have it because I just clam up. They didn't say that. But she said, wow, I can speak now. So I actually uncovered a symptom, you know, the inability to speak or whatever, that I didn't even know she had because I didn't need to know it. But she looked different, she felt different. Now we did more work around that and then some more deeper trance work. The way she booked the appointment, the, the, the only time I could see her was on the Wednesday and the interview was on the Thursday, so we were cutting it tight to the wire. What I always ask all clients is, give me a call in about seven to ten days, tell me how you feel differently. So I look for feedback. Now because of her interview, I contact her the following day and I said, well, how'd it go? She obviously had that epiphany moment during the session, but this is an important thing to understand about hypnosis as well. I change the way you think, but it doesn't mean all the work's done. Number one in one session, number two in session. For some people, it will happen immediately. For some people, they'll go away and as they're driving along, their unconscious mind is continually thinking about the suggestions that were put in and something will click. For some people, they'll go to sleep that night and the next, they next, wake up the next morning and something will click. I don't know when it's going to happen and I can't control it because, again, hypnosis is not something I do to you. It's something that you do to yourself. So I said, how did it go? And she says, you know what? To tell you the truth, when I left your place, I didn't feel much different. She'd had that wee epiphany, but she said, I didn't feel much different. Tell you what, I went to bed that night and I had the best night's sleep ever. And she said it like that. You know. So you knew it was a good night's sleep. She said, ordinarily, if I was going for a job interview, like most people... You know, you'll be saying, what did I say on my CV? And, and what stories do I want to highlight? And thinking about the job. She says, I got up and I went downstairs and I made breakfast. And you know she was emphasising all these, this tonality to say, you know, I didn't even look, I didn't even think about it. She says, usually I'd be up at six. She says, I got up about ten. She says, I went down, I had breakfast, I showered. I got rested, I was ready. We had the conversation and I hung up. And it was only when I hung up, that I recall something she said. But she said to me, halfway through the conversation, we brushed on past that phrase, but she said to me, you know what, they offered me a glass of water and I took it. And it was so inconsequential at the time I chatted on past. It was only when I hung up, I thought, what did she mean by that? But I I don't know. That's And you're laughing because you you know in your mind why you wouldn't take a glass of water. (laughs) You know, Do
0: you know, because it makes you feel really self-conscious
1: That's, that's you, you see yeah. But maybe for her it was the handshaking So there are, there, there are 101 reasons Why she said that Yeah. You've got yours, she could have hers Somebody else could have a different reason for not taking that glass of water But the chemist went, you know what They offered me a glass of water and I took it And she just moved on in that conversation And I was only when I hung up with her That, that, was, a, that was a powerful action That was a powerful memory for her And the simplicity of that just made it more memorable Hopefully that's a nice example of... of. I I do a lot of what's called, what I described there as metaphor work. And, you know, some people come in and say, I feel like I'm in a rut. And I'll ask them, well, how deep is the rut? And when they think about it for the first time, they go, you know, it's up to my waist. And I say, close your eyes and just step out of that rut because it's only up to your waist. You could bend a good knee and, and get out of that rut. And as you're standing at the top of that rut, looking down into that rut, what's that feel like? Because that's not just a coin of phrase those words are language like anything else like book table chair carpet they're just words but those words have meaning just like a chair when I say chair to you I don't know whether you're thinking of an armchair or a settee or what and I have a picture in my mind and what you're thinking of and what I'm thinking of right now before you describe it are probably going to be totally different or if I ask you to draw a chair and I drew a chair, what's the chances those two pictures would be identical? Everything has a meaning. And being in a rut, as you consciously say, oh, my life's in a rut, my life's in a rut, my life's in a rut, you're drawing a picture for that inner little child, what we call the unconscious mind. The best way to describe that, the unconscious mind is like a seven-year-old child. If you were to say to a seven-year-old child, you know what, there's a purple dragon out in the hallway with a big box of sweets, the kid's going to run out the door and say, where? Give me a sweet. They're not going to go, hold on a minute. There might be a dragon out in the hallway, but it's green. Dragons are green. Well, dragons don't exist, but if they did exist, they'd be green. And if they did exist, they wouldn't be carrying sweets. They'd be breathing hot flames. That's the adults. Adults start to logically analyse, but a child just accepts whatever it's told. And that's what the unconscious mind does. So when you say, my life's in a rut, and you say it two or three times, the unconscious mind goes, okay, your life's in a rut. And it draws this picture. But the good news is, like any kid, it might just draw this little waist-high or even a foot-high rut and just asking you consciously to step out of it. Your unconscious mind is always listening. It never switches off. And it goes, you know what? It's not such a rut.
0: So it really is like overwriting your programme.
1: It is. But again, you're doing it. When I say to you step out of that rut, I'm not saying step out to the left or step out to the right. I'm not saying jump out or, or use a ladder or whatever you will manufacture in your mind. You will rewrite your own history. Now, it's not that you forget everything that's happened. People don't. When you have a metaphor inside your mind, it is actually something real to you. Another thing about the unconscious mind is it doesn't know the difference between reality. Because when you think about it, and we're looking at the microphone between the two of us, and I see it and you see it. But really, your brain, the eye actually sees everything upside down, and then the brain inverts it. So what we're seeing now is not actually what we're seeing. Our eyes, our eyes are seeing the whole room upside down. It's all in reverse. So already, what we're seeing is not actually there. It's something, mirror image or a flip of what it should be. And even though I'm leaning against an orange cushion, your tone of orange and my tone of orange might be different. And again, you see these pictures on the internet. What color do you see? And some people will see brown, and some people will see gold. And Everyone sees things differently, but we've come to a, a consensus of opinion. I mean, the very first hypnotist that we ever have is our teachers. Well, as our parents, is the very first one. But Think of learning to read and write. We're told that that looks like an A, and that's a B. But that was a suggestion. We were free to say that's not an A. But we accept it, and everybody agrees what an A looks like and what a B looks like. These are suggestions that we have accepted as truth. Another example of hypnosis, when you think about letters on a page... It's a piece of white paper. Black marks are written. And yet people can read a book and feel sad. and They can laugh. But it's just white paper and lines. But those lines are shaped in such a way to cause us to think in a certain way and laugh or cry, feel emotion. And yet they're just a tree mashed into pulp, flattened out very thin, with black marks on it. That's, that's hypnosis in itself.
0: So writers are hypnotists.
1: <laughs> writers are hypnotists. Have you ever watched a movie? And again, cried at maybe Marley and me and that poor little dog that oh, died. Oh yeah, very
0: recently yes, actually. Yes, <laughs> that's it.
1: You're so involved that your imagination cannot tell the difference between imagination and reality.
0: You could actually say that advertising companies, oh, yes. marketing, it's all they're hypnosis. all hypnotising you into buying their product.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I know you're too young to remember the Cambridge Flake advert You used to see this. Beautiful girl walking through a meadow. And what they're doing is they're showing you something nice. The girls are going, that's a nice dress. The fellas saying, that's a nice girl. Everybody's saying, that's a lovely meadow. It's a nice sunny day. So they get these nice happy feelings inside. Happy feelings, happy feelings, happy feelings. Show the product. That's hypnosis because they're getting you to feel good and then associating what you feel with what their, their product yes, is. Yeah. And now every time you walk through your shop, you go, ah, I think of that nice girl and that nice dress. I think I'll buy a flake. So, that's all advertising is all. Everything is hypnosis. You know, it comes back to what is hypnosis. Hypnosis is simply communications, whether it's verbal or nonverbal. If you can be influenced, and again, this is not about mind control, they're all hypnotists, authors,
0: teachers, parents. So, one of the things I nearly forgot to ask you is um, when you hit the streets and do your street hypnosis, does it ever happen to you that you try to hypnotize someone and it doesn't work?
1: All the time. And I I love that question. It's a very important question to ask. And I'll even say, because I know you focused on the street hypnosis, but even in the therapy room, at times it won't work. But once again, because I've got training from a variety of people with a variety of techniques, uh, number one, we'll go back to the street hypnosis. First of all, again, you can't be hypnotized if you don't want to. The proof that that is the case is if I could hypnotize someone Whether they wanted to or not, you wouldn't know hypnotists exist. There'd just be these guys on rich mansions up in the hills. Because I'd go into the bank, say, "Give me ten million pounds," and they'd hand it over. And they, and now you will forget. You ever give it to me? Okay, that's the Hollywood style hypnosis. The fact that you can't do that. If you could do that, no offense, I don't want to sound like a criminal. But, uh, yeah, I'd be way up in that mansion and have that £10 million. <laughs> so hypnosis can't be used for that. From time to time, in an in a entertainment context, out in the street, I'll be hypnotising something, someone. That They'll be uh, doing lots of fun stuff. And someone on the corner of my aisle, you can see them nudging their mates and say, bet you that won't work on me. If he has that mindset it's not going to work, then it won't work. And he'll come up all bravado and he'll write, Go on now, mate. Hypnotise me. Bet you it won't work. Sometimes they'll come and they'll be not so obvious and I'll give it a go. And and they just won't be hypnotizable. And again, it's because either maybe they're not being cocky, maybe they they just have a oh, I'm going to you know, something's gonna happen here that I can't control. Um and that will that mindset will stop them from going into hypnosis. So it is very common. In the therapy room, that people people will wake up and they go, "Wow, that was brilliant! That was fantastic!" I, you know, I feel totally transformed, totally different. Sometimes it doesn't happen in sessions, but in those situations, they, and they turn around. Does it ever not work? And I says, "You know, it, it didn't work twice on you. I I used three different techniques before I got through to, you know, your unconscious mind. If you're good at, it, then you you try something. It doesn't work. You move on seamlessly, and people don't know that I have failed. I fail all the time, but it's not about." do you pass or do you fail it's what do you do when they feel? so it's when something goes wrong you pick that up right that's not going to work let's try this oh that didn't work let's try oh they're away
0: so if somebody would like to use this form of therapy to help them with some issues in their life yeah. where could yeah. they find so you google
1: feel f-e-e-l feel good hypnosis is my company name company brand just google that or I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Pinterest, you name it. I try to get the brand out there to everyone. Because I do the entertainment, there's a lot of entertainment stuff on YouTube, but there's a a playlist called Change Work, which shows testimonials, which shows me doing live demonstrations uh, in network meetings and things. There's lots of videos in that playlist. Two very nice ones are one from a girl called Kerry, who had an issue for 30 years, and she ex- describes the process that we go through. And there's another one from Rosemary, so I always like to give her a plug because she gave me that video. And uh, she describes how it feels to have overcome a fear of heights she had for 15 years. And as she describes in the video, it's affecting not just her, but her job and her, and her, her family. People think that an uh, issue is just an issue within themselves, but even something like a fear of heights, and you're saying, well, how would that affect your job? Rosemary, as she's described, she couldn't drive over the foil bridge there. She couldn't go to a multi-storey building. This is not just about a personal issue in life. If you have personal issues, if you're not happy within your mental health, then it affects everything, your job, your family, your career.
0: But you sometimes... Because you have on YouTube all these videos when you hit uh, the streets of Belfast yes. for your street hypnosis. If people wanted to see you live in action, do you do this regularly or is it just random?
1: I, I just do it randomly. What I do as well, post on either Twitter or, or Facebook saying, guys, I'm going to go out next week. If you want to join me, come along and see. And, and people have done that in the past. And, so just keep an eye out. Subscribe to me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter. Oh, there, I got it in there. <laughs> if you want to, uh, yeah, find out where, where I'm doing some next. And if you want to learn hypnosis again, I'll be doing a two-day training course next uh, month. I haven't actually announced this, and it's, it's optional. I might even, during the training course, if I get a chance to maybe head out on the second day and go into Belfast with the with the, the pupils. That might be an opportunity.
0: oh great there you go well thank you very much Turan. i'm really glad we did this super
1: you're welcome thanks very much cheers
0: i hope you guys enjoyed this after a couple of grim and not very entertaining episodes i thought that you deserved something a little bit more interesting and fun we squeezed in as much as we could into this episode but Turan also mentioned a little bit about neurolinguistic programming which vivian from hydro east talked about in episode number 13 Turan mentioned that NLP is practically a study of hypnosis and language and Turan is also a certified practitioner of this technique. I also asked him whether he hypnotized himself into healthy eating thinking I was being really funny but it turns out that he does use hypnosis on himself all the time. Actually we all do, we just don't realize it. For example Years ago, I hypnotized myself into sticking to a healthy diet and learning about nutrition and healthy eating in order to get better. Nobody could have done it for me, but myself. And we all use this technique daily. Even simple thing like, you don't feel like getting up in the morning and go to work, but you do persuade yourself to do it, suggesting yourself that if you do it, you will feel better later, or you'll earn some cash, or whatever other reason you can come up with. You're basically hypnotizing yourself into doing it. Advertising companies trying to hypnotize us daily into buying their products Be it processed foods, insurance we don't need, new expensive car we can't really afford and we don't need it either. They're suggesting to us that we need these things. That these things and services and foods are going to make us feel better or are going to make us healthier or are going to make our life easier. And it is up to us whether we let them get into our heads or not. We have the power to make our own mind up. Nobody else can control us. Talking about mind control, for years I let my lack of confidence in my own abilities make me suck at job interviews. And I mean like seriously suck. And fear interviews and therefore I used to wish I didn't get any. Which is not the way to go about it if you really need a job. After my interview with Tehran, he did... A little five-minute magic work with me, and I hope I'll get to test the result very soon. But so far, so good. So for now, I do not fear a potential job interview. In fact, I'm kind of looking forward to it. So if there are any producers listening to this and need a picture editor or an assistant, just say in. And the only thing that's left is the recipe. Every episode, I try to get our guests talk about food specifically their favorite vegetables, and to share a recipe. But Turan simply refused to give up a favorite vegetable. He likes them all. And not only that, he wouldn't share a recipe because he doesn't cook. Well, that's fair enough, Turan. I'll forgive you. You see, Turan has a lovely wife who I hear is a wonderful cook. I never met this lady, but from what I hear, she sounds absolutely awesome. And Turan is simply a very lucky man. But we did talk a little about raw fruits and veg and Turan admitted that he loves munching on raw carrots and cauliflower. I haven't heard in years anyone talk about eating a raw cauliflower. And it's one of the things I completely forgot about myself. I used to do the same thing when I was a kid. Because carrots and cauliflower were pretty much a daily ingredient in our kitchen. My mom used to put them in vegetable soups. And I would nick pieces of these veg from mom's prep tray or chopping board and munch on it. But the trouble was that I really didn't know when to stop. And often my mom would have to literally chase me out of the kitchen. Otherwise I'd end up eating all the veg for the soup. Talking about carrots and cauliflower, I do have a recipe for both, but I'll save the cauliflower one for another time and I'm going to give you a carrot one. I'm going to give you a very simple carrot recipe. It's a very gentle recipe I started to make when I was just at the beginning of the whole healthy eating journey and i didn't really know how to cook much just don't eat too much of it if you give your body too much better carotene then it can handle you can end up with orange skin like i did a few times already but saying that my liver at that point needed some serious flush after years of neglect and also everyone's different just don't eat platefuls of this even though it's tempting So the recipe is a carrot and onion dip. You can use it to dip your celery or cucumbers very much like hummus or you can spread it on your raw crackers, chapatis, omelettes, savory crepes or whatever else you can think of. What you need is four medium carrots, one medium onion, half a teaspoon whole cumin seeds, half a teaspoon ground cumin, quarter teaspoon pink Himalayan or good quality sea salt, one teaspoon of aminos, I personally use coconut aminos, but you can use any other good quality ones you can find. Alternatively, use a good quality, preferably organic and preservative free soy or tamari sauce. And optional, you can put in a pinch of cayenne pepper for the extra kick if you like spicy. The prep is very, very simple. You just wash the carrots, if they're organic just scrub them clean and don't peel it. If they're not organic, peel them. Chop them in wide circles and pop into a steamer. Peel and roughly chop the onion and pop it on the top of the carrots and steam the veg for about 10 minutes until tender but not overly mushy and let them cool a bit uh, because you can't put them in a blender or food processor when they're scorching hot. Pop the veg in a blender with the rest of the ingredients and blend until smooth. That's all you need to do. If you like, you can add a little olive oil to make it a bit creamy. And that's it. Simple and really, really delish. If you'd like to get hypnotized, follow Feel Good Hypnosis on social media to see when they're next heading out into the streets of Belfast. And if you'd like to learn the art of hypnosis, get in touch via social media or their website www.feel-good.today and sign up for his two-day course in August. And if you're listening to this podcast way past August 2018, just keep an eye on more courses with Turan. I'm pretty sure it's not the last one. And that's all, folks. Remember to follow The Sweet Spot on Instagram and Facebook to get all the recipes my guests and I share to date, and to find out about our future guests. Do avail of the opportunity to ask them questions ahead of the podcast. It will make for much better content. And after all, I'm not doing this just for myself. I hope you all get something out of it too. So if you want to know anything, just ask. I'm just a message away. Have a great couple of weeks. And if I may make a suggestion, have some cards. And more importantly, stay healthy. Until next time. Bye. As every week, your host is myself, Susanna from The Sweet Spot. Music by Mark J. Adair and artwork by Gemma O'Hagan. Thank you for listening.